Hello, this is Romaro Gill, the biggest defensive player of the year and most improved player. And you're listening to Left Coast Pirates. Let's go. Seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead. Guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane. Goes to the bucket. Layup. Rolls around and in. And a foul. Whitehead ties the game. Pow from Trent. What Trent makes, the world takes. From just west of the Ward Place Gate in San Diego, California. He is Mike Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997. And we are Left Coast Pirates. Welcome to this week's edition of Left Coast Pirates. It is January 31st, 2021. And I think all pirate fans can be excited that January is finally over. The Pirates finished this week at 0-2 and January itself was not any better at a 2-4. And, and while we've seen worse Januaries, let's all be grateful that two games were postponed off the schedule for this one. Mikey, this was a rough week, man. Tommy, Tommy, here's the problem. You know, lately I find myself gravitating more and more to social media. Like, what the heck is wrong with me? You know, probably not the best thing in order to maintain an even-keeled mindset in the Seton Hall pirate world, right? But nonetheless, I'm here digesting the extreme emotions and perspectives of the fans that follow this team, kind of like we do, right? And then like anything else with social media, you normally get the extreme left, and then you get the extreme right, of the topic at hand, you know, and, and that's when the where the reality kind of falls is probably somewhere, you know, in the middle. So I actually saw a rational post amongst all the chaos this week. I, I don't buy it, Mike. How do you, you found a rational post on social media? And that's why I'm going to start the top of the show with this. So I'm, I'm actually going to quote this guy. I, I, I apologize. I'm like, I forgot to write down his tag, but it was pretty solid. It, it goes like this. I think this is what we are under this coach, a fine coach who recruits good kids, finds some underdiscovered gems, develops them, lands a blue chip every now and then, and keeps the program solid to good to sometimes very good. They graduate and don't embarrass Seton Hall, as far as I know, and are positive forces in their communities outside of school. It is what we are, and all things considered, it's not terrible. It's not the stuff of dreams, but that's why they're dreams. So that got me thinking, Tom. It started getting me thinking about the overall Kevin Willard regime. And I said, am I the fan who is celebrating the 2016 Big East Championship, the 2019-2020 Co-Big East regular season championship, the four straight NCAA tournament appearances, the first tournament win in over 14 years, Miles Powell and Isaiah Whitehead receiving All-American recognition, Delgado setting the Big East rebounding record, shocking Kentucky at the Garden, beating Marquette and Nova at the Rock to punch their dance card in 2018-19, what you called the miracle at the Rock, and ending the 26-year drought at Nova last year? Or am I the fan who is lamenting about the 1-4 record in the dance? Twice missing out on a chance 
for the outright Big East regular season title last year. The 19 and 16 point collapses to Oregon and Creighton, the Rutgers loss in 2017-18 that prevented us from being ranked in the top 10, or worse yet, the loss at DePaul by 28, who was 2-15 and 15 in conference play when a tournament bid was on the line, or the lack of recruiting of a true point guard capable of playing at the Big East level for a full decade. I don't know, Tom. I'm not 100% positive on this one. You know, but if I looked in the mirror and I was being truly honest with myself, I believe I'm the fanatic who always wants more. To take it to the next level, right? You know, to reach the pinnacle of success, to strive for the absolute best, no matter what the limitations are. So this was a tough week for me. Uh, you know, I'm not looking for the silver lining. I don't want that moral victory. I wanted desperately to see this team shine on the highest level. And instead, they fell disappointingly short in the first game and just couldn't find the energy or the effort to rebound in the second one. I mean, I, I, this is going to be a tough episode for me, man. You know, that's a heck of a diatribe, Mike, and you were just looking at these things as if it was all black and white. I look at it as being somewhere in that gray area. You're pointing out to what the program is and what it could be. You know, you've got to see those little incremental improvements over time. You know, it, it you can't point back to 11 years ago and say, look what Bobby Gonzalez left us with and look where we're at now. No, you got to look at it as a whole. Where are we improving and how can we get to that next level? I don't know that asking for a second weekend in the tournament, Mike, is a whole lot to ask for here. I think it's a fair question. I mean, take a look at Maryland right now. Mark Turgeon has been doing a great job there, and they've been trying to fire him for three years because they don't feel like they've been getting to that next level. There is something special about the NCAA tournament. And yes, there is something special about playing in the Big East and playing at Madison Square Garden for the Big East Tournament Championship. And those things are great. But there is a pinnacle of success in college basketball, and that is March Madness. That is being a part of the field of 68. That is being able to kind of be in that second weekend where you're two wins away from the ultimate dream of a Final Four, and we have not been anywhere close to tasting that. People are going to say that last year might have been that opportunity. I get that. And I'm not saying I expect to be a Final Four program. We're not a blue blood. But you want the optimism going into every year that there might just be a possibility that one year we can get back to that Final Four in my lifetime. And right now, you know, that next step, it's there, but I'm not feeling it. And this specific week kind of just feels like a gut punch towards the potential to getting back there. Well, you know what made this week even worse for me, Mike? Listening to you and your negativity and your gray clouds above your head and your Eeyore. And you know- We got a lot of rain in San Diego this week, Tom. We got a lot of rain in San Diego. I don't know what happened. Yeah, I think you were the cause of it, Mike. But you know, I was sitting there going, man, this week's podcast is gonna be a rough one unless I bring some positivity into it. And you know, thank goodness, Last week, we got that little bit of positivity. One of our favorites was announced to have signed a deal with the Wellington Saints. And we reached out and he so graciously came in on the program to talk to us. The who? The Wellington <laughs> Oh, Mike, stop it. That's not fair. So, Romaro Gill, who's playing for the G League Jazz team in the bubble starting this week, signed a deal with New Zealand after the fact. And Friday night, he came on to talk to us. 
I saw that. That that was pretty cool news. I mean, we always want to see our pirates continue on in their journey and do us proud. And, you know, Roe is a great example of one of these guys who have done well while he was at Seton Hall, represented us well on and off the court, and he's continuing to do so. And we want to see him, you know, reach that stratosphere of ultimate career success. So, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool to have him come on and kind of tell us his, a small part of his story as to what's going on with his uh, his new endeavors, uh, although, albeit all the way out in New Zealand after he plays some G League basketball for a few weeks. So this week on the podcast, we talk to the big man himself, Romaro Gill, about his current and future plans. We review the losses against Creighton and hated Villanova. And finally, we take a look at the pandemic pandemonium. He was one of the most successful transfers ever to play for the Seton Hall Pirates, playing from 2000. 2018 to 2020, winning both the Big East Defensive Player of the Year and the Big East Most Improved Player in 2019-20, helping bring the first Big East title back to South Orange since 1993. Please welcome to Left Coast Pirates, Romaro Gill. Romaro, how are you today? I'm doing good, man. Doing great. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, thanks, thanks for joining the show, Romaro. Much appreciated on my end as well. Uh, you got to bring the energy, though. T- Tom kind of raises the bar with those intros. So, All right. I got you. I'm sure I can do. All right. So <laughs> before we get into Q&A about basketball and everything else going on in your life uh, in the immediate future with the round ball, let's talk about what's going on in the world. We ask all of our guests, how are things going relative to COVID-19? How are friends and family doing? But more specifically, I mean, we know that your roots take you back to Jamaica, how are family doing back in that country? I see that there's only about 15,000 cases reported. We're getting more than 15,000 cases alone here in Southern California per day. I mean, you know, it's a really hard time right now. As you know, um, this COVID thing is really um, serious because for like for me, COVID came around and like paused everything for a long while. It's nearly like a year since I played basketball. But regardless of that, you know, you still got to keep moving. It's been a rough past um, what here but regardless of that like i'm good staying healthy still staying in shape regardless of not being able to play basketball for basketball for a long while you say jamaica um my family is are doing good my mom is great i just spoke to her before coming on to this call she's doing great my siblings are doing great and yeah, it's not it's not a lot of case in Jamaica with COVID. As you say, it's fifteen thousand, and the recovery rate there is kind of it's quick. So um, a lot of people recover. It's a few deaths and stuff. I think they kind of have it under control over there, even though there are still new cases every day. But regardless of that, like everybody on my side, my family, like they good. A lot of my friends that I talk to back home, they good. So just gotta thank God for that. I did my honeymoon in Jamaica back in the day. It sounds like we might have to pick up the kids and move there if, if, if the weather is doing that good and so is the COVID. I mean, geez. Well, the weather is always doing good, man. <laughs> you come I down to Southern Diego, California, baby. we'll show you some good weather as well. San Diego's hanging in there. Here's my first question that I kind of caught my eye relative to what you just said. I haven't played basketball in a year, so everyone's hearing about you got all the new things that you have on the horizon, but nobody stuck you into a gym. You couldn't get any kind of workouts in? Nothing? I mean, I got a workout, but when I'm, when I, I should clarify that, like, when I mean, like, playing basketball, you know, you're, like, competitively, like, playing okay. against another team. Like, I got workouts, obviously. Like, I got workouts in and stuff like that, but 
I haven't like played like a game of basketball, like compete to come first or second. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Well, Ramara, we have to bring this up. So you may not know this, but for about the past two years, whenever we would talk about Seton Hall Pirates play and your highlights in particular, we would always start off with an apology. And Mm. so when it was first announced you were coming to the Pirates from junior college, you were virtually an unknown. People didn't have an idea of what to expect. And so we jokingly stated that we expected a big body and five fouls. And, mm. You know, we've seen a ton of unheralded big men come through Seton Hall, and, and we'd be lucky to get that. But almost oh. from jump, I mean, with a reported five blocks in a scrimmage against Boston College, we started our weekly apology, Romaro. We would say, Romaro did this, and boy, are we sorry for ever <laughs> doubting you. So, for one final time, this time in person... Mia culpa, Romaro. We are sorry that we ever doubted you, man. We were it's excited good, how man. you played. So good. Did you feel like the lack of expectations helped you to integrate with the team early on? I mean, like, for a person like me, like, even when I started playing basketball, like, that's something that I face a lot, like, because, like, I was fresh to it, you know, like, um, I played cricket before basketball, so... A lot of people will be like, oh, he's tall. Um, he probably just going to get a lot of foul charges and whatnot. But I know I didn't, at the beginning, I didn't know the game of basketball as much. But one thing I knew how to do, and that was to block shots. So, like, I know, like, I have that. So, I don't care, like, if people say, oh, he's not good. Like, I know I'll block somebody's shot. <laughs> so, um, like, I think, like, having, like, a lot of people, like, not expecting a lot from me or think that I'm just going to be, like, another big guy that's coming in and foul. Like, that kind of, like, push me, make me work harder. And, like, if somebody say that to you, like, you want to, like, prove to them that they're wrong. Just knowing that in the back of my head, like, that's kind of like the fuel to my flames and like it just made me work harder and just prove myself to people so well you go from low expectations whether it's tom and i's fault or not we won't won't debate that any further to basically awing seton hall fans by your performance for a solid two years on the court to the point where everyone's like look he's got a shot to play at the next level so as we're heading into the uh, you know the NBA draft this past summer, I think the expectations were through the roof for some fans that you were going to get drafted and given yeah. a shot, you know, possibly in the second round. I mean, but the, the draft process because of COVID was completely different. So how did how did the world change in terms of the process, the preparation going into that draft this past year? So before everything got shut down, like the way I felt like confident about like getting drafted was just as a way I felt like confident that we were going to win the Big East Championship and make a deep run into, like, the tournament. But when COVID hit, like, it was kind of, like, unexpected. Honestly, for, like, a few months or so, like, I was kind of, like, out in the deep. Like, I didn't really know um, where to turn to at the time because after everything finished, I was like, all right, I just got to finish out school. And then um, if basketballs don't come back, like, the only um, thing that I can do is like go home and that's like back in Jamaica. And I'm like, I didn't want to do that. So uh, I was, I was like, just there kind of like just weathering it out and wondering what, where the next step going to be until I like sign with an agent and everything. And I start like getting back into the gym, like lifting and working out and whatnot. But the COVID thing kind of like 
as I say, it slows stuff down because, like, I got invited to like a lot of stuff. Um, I I got invited to um Portsmouth, so it's yep. like a showcase. Like, I got invited to that. Um, yeah, Portsmouth, Portsmouth for all the seniors, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we got invited to a lot of stuff, and I'm like, well, combine the tournament plus biggies and that, like. I know I would be able to like get to showcase my talent for like in front of like NBA scouts. And I know like if I had that opportunity, like there's no doubt in my mind that I'll be on that draft list. But I mean, it didn't happen. And it kind of feel bad a little, a little bit because, you know, like all that hard work we put in to just like come to an all. He didn't really get to show what you really can do. Like, he just felt like he had that taken away from you. It felt a little bit bad. Like, someday I was like, I don't know, I feel like I might just stop this and just go get a regular job or something. But, um, I mean, don't, I still, like, don't, right don't, now. Don't do, got... don't, don't do that. Don't do that. I was running home from work to make the interview. I'm telling you, you don't want to sign uh, up for that yet, man. But, no, like, no, I'm here. I mean, I still, it's not that where I want to be, but it's still an opportunity that I got right now. So I'm just going to make the best of it. No, I, I, I get it. You, you, you should be upset because at this point, my, my mindset, if I were you is like, Hey, 20 other 29 other teams have made a mistake right now. Right. So the jazz don't draft you officially in the first or second round, but they give you an opportunity with the exhibit 10 contract. So obviously there's people in the league that see that there's a possible opportunity and I get yep. it. If you, if you could have gone through the workouts, uh, you know, be brought into a pro day, had an actual, you know, face-to-face -face interview that could change the dynamic of the process. But mm -hmm. I mean, but clearly, you know, they, they know that you, there's something that they want to potentially be able to see. Right. Talk to me now about once you get to the jazz and training camp, how things are different, right? Cause the game at the college level, the game that you've known up until this point is at a different, you know, magnitude. Once you get to the NBA, talk to me about what you saw during training camp. I mean, so honestly, like, so like the exhibit 10 was to like do training camp but for me and cause of COVID again, like on the court, the space and, um, it was it can't it couldn't be like too much bodies down there. So I actually while I was there, I only um worked out with like the G League coach. I didn't like really have like a workout with like the actual Jazz team. So I like I watched them practice, but I didn't get to practice with them because of like the COVID and like you can't have a lot of people down there. So even visually though, how fast? I mean, how much fast is the pace? I mean, all right, honestly, I'll tell everybody this. <laughs> Here we go. Honestly, I feel like, I feel like because I, I was in the college system, I feel like college practice is master and more, I feel like it's more intense because I feel like in the, like the NBA thing, like, I don't know, like dudes are like, they can do whatever they want. So like, it's not like college when you know you have your call course. Him, like, call them prima donnas, call them prima donnas, you can say it. <laughs> and you know, like you have to listen to them. Like, you know, when you're in college, you got to listen to the coach, but. Man, these guys out there, like, they NBA players, like, they, some of them even making more money than the coach. So, like, I just feel like guys just do whatever. Because, like, I was watching, for example, in practice, if Miles come down and shoot a hairball, come down again and shoot a hairball, Coach Willard's going to get pissed. <laughs> and that jazz, I see a guy come down, shoot a hairball, come down, shoot a hairball again, come down, shoot a hairball again. I'm like, nah, this is nothing like college. I feel like college is more serious, but... It's good because like there's all they're all talented players out there, but for me, I feel I I like the college thing more. Home thing that in college you don't get paid, so so if yeah, they just just that's my difference. Like a lot of people can have different opinion, you know, but that's just my opinion. 
So sure. if they were to let you on the court, would you send on the ball back in Rudy Gobert's face? Come on, be honest. Be honest. I mean, that was that, that's that's what I have in mind all along, but I didn't get to do it. But I know someday I will. In early January, it was announced that you were going to go play for the Salt Lake City Stars, which is the Utah Jazz affiliate. And yep. now you're down in Orlando for the, the G League yep. bubble. And it's kind of a reunion of sorts where, you know, you have Miles Powell and Quincy McKnight, both your former teammates on different teams yep. down in the yep. bubble. How excited are you to see your former teammates in this professional setting? I mean, it's, 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 it's very exciting, you know, like I haven't seen them since when February and to be able to see him again and it's like I'm about to see him right where we left off because the last time we left off was on the court so like having the opportunity to see him again on the court like it's good I mean I know they're my friends but whenever that day come when we face off like you know I gotta do what I gotta do so <laughs> can we call for a couple block shots and stuff because I kind of know what they do like I know I know their moves so once you cross those lines, the game changes. I get it. <laughs> well, sure. additionally, this week we had some more good news. It was announced that you signed with the Wellington Saints of the New Zealand Basketball League. Now, this is obviously something that not a whole lot of people know about. What can you tell us about the New Zealand Basketball League? Oh, really? I don't think I know a lot, a lot. So G League bubble finished like in March and the Saints deal that starts in April. So for me, um, I was just talking with my agent and I was like, I've been sitting down for like nearly a year and this G League thing is just for six weeks. And after the G League, like if I don't get called up, I'm just going to be sitting down again until like summer league starts. So I was telling him that if it's possible when the thing G League finish, like, I'd like to, like, just go overseas and, like, just play for the time being until, like, the NBA finishing starts starts back up instead of, like, sitting around because, like, I don't want to be sitting around again, like, for that long, you know? So, um, he called me and he told me that he got, like, a deal in New Zealand. I'm like, cool. And the reason why I'm, like, super happy about it, too, because, like, my girlfriend's from New Zealand because we met in college. Really? Oh, That's now it all comes out. <laughs> we understand what's going so, like, on now. <laughs> before, before you, like, yeah, like, two other options, I'm like, nah, New Zealand's cool. Like, I'll go to New Zealand. So, <laughs> so I signed it and everything. They're kind of, like, going through the process now with, like, the immigration stuff to, like, get these stuff sorted out new zealand is also a place that i always want to visit and there are nice people over there uh i had an interview with like the big news channel over there too i came on new zealand news i was i haven't even been over there yet but it's nice um i'm looking forward to it but first i gotta like take care of business down here first you know so i mean like in the summer i can tell you more about it once um, sure. once i get over there and um can tell you more about that but let's say you're doing the g league and then a couple injuries or you're just tearing it up in the g league and the jazz say hey it's time to give you a call up and you actually kind of get your shot and you stick at the you know at the, at the big show are you still contractually obligated to go to New Zealand? Or are you still oh, so gonna... the, the, the contract is um is it called void? Yeah, you so can like, okay. All right. Yeah, so um if I get called up like I can easily just terminate the New Zealand contract. So okay. you you had mentioned that there was a possible uh, couple other destinations. Where where else might you have gone? I think he had some place in um Israel. 
So, I mean, I, I know this for a fact. The minute you get out to New Zealand, the time zone differential is going to be completely different, right? And to be able to put on the television and catch a Pirates game is just not going to be as easy as it is yeah, right now. Right? I think New Zealand in New Zealand now is a day before, so <laughs> yes, I think yes, New it is. Zealand is Saturday. <laughs> but. but I'm assuming you're keeping up with the Pirates right now currently. Like if they're on Yeah, TV, I'll be watching what? the game. I'm watching the game tomorrow. I'm tuned in. All right, so, so, so we're all tuned in for tomorrow, but we're still kind of hurting as a fan base from the other night. Yeah, I, was, I, man, was I, I was watching it and I was like, man, I don't know. I didn't know. I didn't know what to say. And I was pissed in the beginning because they called two, like, I support my big man and they called two foul and Ike, which I thought wasn't foul. So, Picky tacky, those weren't Biggie's fouls. I was, were tacky. I was pissed off. Regardless of what, like, I'm here, I'm supporting them. Whatever, like, I watch, I watch all the games. If it's show, if it's if it, if it's not on the TV, like, I can't see it if I don't got a channel. Like, I keep up with the scores on like Google and stuff like that. So, but, but that's but that's a, that's a tough spot for the guys, right? I mean, it you know. It's, you're gonna it's gonna happen from time to time you're gonna have a lead and you, know, you might lose the game and it's gonna sting and everyone's gonna want to talk about it what we found ironic is you had a chance to participate in a similar scenario just the year before you guys had that game down in the bahamas against oregon where you guys lost that 19 point lead you know they got a big bounce back game now against villanova it's not going to be easy task you had a chance to go through that experience and then you guys bounced back and got a good win against uh, iowa state to end that tournament, what advice would you share for the guys heading into that Villanova matchup? I mean, all, I just feel like, like, just keep on doing what they're doing. Like, it happens sometimes, you know, like, sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some, but it's, but it's just how you, like, how you take that defeat, you know, like, it's either you're going to go into the next game with your head hanging, feeling all sad and whatnot, or you're going to go into the next game and, like, it's time to redeem ourselves, you know, so, like, I feel like just having like the, a positive attitude and just take the last game like as a learning example and see stuff that you need to work on because like Creighton, Villanova, over two very good team. They come to play and this is the same thing we 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 come to play too and everybody wants to win. But sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some and all I can tell them like keep on practicing, keep on working on what they're doing and just go into a Villanova game on Saturday and just let it all out just like we did when we went down there, you know? Because, like, I know we were, like, I wanted to win the second time, but when we win them last year at their place, like, I wanted to win that game so bad. Like, <laughs> oh, 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 so did we, Romaro, so did we. <laughs> <laughs> like, before, I think in the, during the regular season, it's one thing I didn't accomplish. I wanted to win every road game, and we didn't get to win Creighton and um, Providence, but, like, since the start, I'm like, because like the year before when I got my ankle injury, like I didn't get to play him. That was like a big thing for me, like to win every road game, but we got yeah. short on two of them. But eight, eight road games in one season is quite the accomplishment. It's hard to win on the road. So, I mean, I don't take yeah. anything away from that. But these are your boys, though, right? You played with yeah. almost everybody on this roster except for Bryce and to call. And I guess to call was playing on, you know, practicing with you guys, play, right? Yeah. In the practice here. Yeah. So, you tell me. I mean, you you know these guys' mental fortitude. You know what they're capable of. Do the Pirates right the ship and find a way to still make the dance this year? Absolutely. I believe. I believe so. Like, I ain't going to say no. Like, I'm, I know what they can do. Like, I worked out with them because I went back up there um, during the COVID and worked out with them. And I see what they can do. So, 
I mean, it's not the end of the road. The one game they lost, like, they still have the opportunity to, like, pull together and get some wins. And, like, you know how this thing works with all the quad one wins and all that stuff. So, um, I believe they can because it's COVID time now. Like, the way stuff is, like, they didn't get to play, like, a lot of non-conference games and stuff like that. So, they started out the Big East good, and I think those games really count. I believe they do. They they can make it to the And, you know, like, having Coach Willard there, like, you know, they're going to have to make it to that thing. <laughs> well, Romaro, before we let our guests go, we make them walk the plank. We're going to ask you five questions. We want five quick answers. Don't think about it too long. Just give us the first thing that comes to the top of your mind. Are you ready for this? All right, right, let's go. All right, question number one, most points scored in any game at any level? Oh, 17. Which which team was your biggest arch rival? I mean, I think it was um, Georgetown with that big guy or some. Toughest road environment? I'm going to say Rutgers, man. Toughest opposing player that you've ever played? Opposing, toughest opposing player. Probably that guy from Xavier, Tyree Jones. Best SHU player you've seen play? Miles Powell. <laughs> All right, bonus question. So here's another running joke that we've had on the podcast over the, the last couple of years. Most of the announcers on every telecast was always talking about Seton Hall's size, and they would say your name and say, Romaro Gill is a legit 7-2 and we would kind of work that joke into kind of almost every episode. And are you a legit 7-2? believe I am. <laughs> that, there you go. Congratulations, Romaro. You've walked the plank. Well, Romaro, we can't thank you enough for spending some time with us and answering these questions. And we wish you nothing but the best. Sure, appreciate you, man. I appreciate you guys having me on this call. And I'm looking forward to be on again. All right, Mike, we had some good news from tomorrow, but let's break it right into the bad news for the week. Creighton 85, Seton Hall 81. Creighton raced out to a 22-14 lead, making six of their first seven three-point attempts. Seton Hall would then rally behind 30 combined points from Miles Kale and Bryce Aiken to spark a 40-22 run and give the Pirates a 10-point halftime lead. Early in the second half, the defense locked down Creighton's long ball attack, causing them to miss their first 10 attempts. Seton Hall took advantage on the other end as Bryce Aiken hit a driving layup with 11.31 to play to give the Hall a 16-point lead at 68-52. Then the light switch turned on again for the Blue Jays as they hit seven of their final nine three-point attempts, one dagger after the next to rally behind a 33-13 run to pull out the victory. Uh, it hurts just listening to it again. Okay. All right. Stats on this one. Bryce Aiken, 18 minutes, 21 points, 7 of 10 from the floor, 3 of 5 from distance. I won't call it his coming out party because I've been saying it all year. It's been there. But Bryce finally made the tally sheet. Miles Kale, 20 points. Your boy, Tommy, 18 in the first half. We're going to talk about where he went in the second half. Sandro, 11 points. Roden, 13, each with six rebounds, each to boot. Creighton, just their balanced offensive tack with a highlighted special performance from Mitch Ballack. 29 points, 7 of 12 from three-point range. Zegarowski with 18, Mahoney with 13, and Jefferson with 14. Team stats, to me, this is all about three-point shooting. Creighton. 17 of 35, 48.6%. 
Seton Hall tried to hang, couldn't really do it. Nine of 25, 36%. Turnovers, Creighton held the edge. 12 for the Pirates, seven for the Blue Jays. But Seton Hall did do their job on the glass for once. Uh, they actually did dominate their opponent that was smaller. Seton Hall held the edge of 41 to 31 on the boards. All right, Tom, turning point for me. Here it is. Bryce Aiken takes a long three-point attempt early in the shot clock at the 538 mark of the second half. He is then pulled by Kevin Willard at the next stoppage in favor of Shavar Reynolds and doesn't re-enter the game until the final seconds. Miles Kale is also subbed out for to call Molson at this point, but he came back in kind of quickly after that for Ike. Aiken was seven or nine with 21 points prior to that attempt. Seton Hall led by nine when he left the game and they only scored six points the rest of the way. Tom, I don't think it's up for debate. Let's just skip right into sour grapes and grapes. <laughs> oh man, we're going to have some gripes today. I'm, I'm not in the mood for blue tinted glasses. Mikey's challenging his inner Eeyore today. All right, let's do this, Mike. All right, so so how do you bench Aiken for the final five minutes of this game? I mean, let, let's start with Willard saying he was on a minutes restriction. Are you buying that? I'm just going to go with the best response I saw on social media this week right after the game. Mike, you brought up a social media response. I'm going to do one. What are you saving them for? The business world? And I almost, I was crying when I read that, Mike. Okay, so let's say he's on a on a minutes restriction there. Aren't you taking that second half and moving it around a little more with how hot he was? You have timeouts. You have the media breaks. You know, th this is not a situation where, you know, he he's got four years ahead of him and you don't want to re-injure him for the future of your program. The guy's got a handful of games left to go in his collegiate career. What are we holding him back for? And Tom, that worries me because I think Aiken feels the same way. And I'm concerned that there could be, and, and maybe I'm reaching here, there could be some issues that are starting to develop. Aiken looked anxious to get back into that game as I'm watching it on, on television. He was standing the entire time, right? If a guy understands he's on a minutes restriction and it's time to sit, you sit, right? You, you just It's just natural. When you want to get back in the game, you're, you're edgy. You're standing up. Get me back in there, coach. Well, he was blazing hot, Mike. Of course he's edgy to get back in the game. But, but they also talk about, oh, Willard only put him back in for those final seconds, so that was kind of confusing. If he was on a minutes restriction, then he shouldn't have come back in that last play. Hey, no one talked about the fact that at the 123 mark where Sandro misses that bunny with us up one and then the ball goes out of bounds, there's a review from the refs. But prior to that review, Aiken was sitting at the scorer's table. No one talks about that. Then they go to the review, they huddle up, and when they come out of that timeout, Aiken doesn't go back into the game. And he looks annoyed in the huddle, right? Then they come back, and you know we don't, we don't score in that next possession. Zegarowski hits the three, and Seton Hall calls timeout. They break the huddle, and now again, the TV cameras follow Aiken all the way back to where he's standing along the sidelines. And his, his body language, Tom, it did not look good. Well, I, not I'm, not, I'm not going to get into the TMZ of the game at all, Mike. I'm not going to try to get into the kid's head. But, but, you know, I mean, he was blazing hot. Let me just repeat that again. He was blazing hot for the game. All right, so, so here's my other take on all this. And this was debated out there, like you said, in social media at nauseum. But I think, and as crazy as this might sound, I think Willard hooked him for the one bad shot. 
you know, he decided to go to war with his best defensive-minded team on the floor, and that included Shavar and also Molson. You know, and, and they did not play well down the stretch. They were 0 for 3 uh, from behind the arc combined. Molson had a costly turnover. Shavar got caught in a trap and had to call a timeout. And Shavar's only points, and correct me if I'm wrong here, came off a horrendous lob attempt that caroms off the backboard and surprised the heck that everybody on the court except for Shavar because he immediately grabbed the loose ball and put it back in for a layup you know, amongst all the trees there because nobody else was expecting the pass to be that bad. Yeah, somebody was trying to compare it to Tracy McGrady, but the difference was Tracy McGrady actually did that on purpose. That wasn't on purpose at that point. No, but you said it. He, Your best player on the night, and you're benching him for a guy who was two for six prior to that. You know, And as they say, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. And unfortunately, there was no magical endgame heroics in this one for, uh, for the media to write up. You know, I, the, the story should have been Bryce Aiken finally breaks out and he carries the hole down the stretch, finishing with like 27. But, you know, Mike, I don't understand it. This is something that's repeating over and over. We have some guy that breaks out and is just out of this world hot. We've seen it with Roden. We've seen it with Kale. We've now seen it with Aiken. And we don't go back and keep feeding it, man. I don't understand it. This one's different. This one is completely different. When Kale, Roden, or other guys... You know, hit a couple shots early on and they're hot. And then Willard goes through his substitution pattern. Fine, we, we've lamented about that over and over again. This is down the stretch. This is this is winning time, right? And so it, to me, it's it's not an apples to apples comparison. It stands out on a different level. And other people tried to make other storylines about this game. And there should be none other. You had the game changer performance and you put him on the bench for the last five minutes. Period. Oh. Yeah, it's it's brutal to watch. So, Mike, when we mentioned the recap, we said we went up 16 with about 11 minutes left. It actually is worse than that as well because we maintained that 16-point lead until about 10 and a half. And then all what happened? The ghosts of Oregon in the Bahamas past came up, and boom. Next thing you know, we're losing the game. Okay, so, so let's talk about the defensive performance or lack thereof. And there are multiple issues to address in this aspect of the game. You know, why can't this team defend the three-point line? Creighton goes, once again, 17 of 35 from three-point range. 17! Combined in the last two games, they're now 30 of 59. Tom, we now rank nationally, after the weekend, 324th in defensive field goal efficiency from three-point range for our opponents 324th that's that's horrible now now normally i'm used to seeing those kind of numbers for our free throw shooting but this this is painful to look at and that's what's so crazy mike you would think we would be better on defense in general i mean we've got some horses to play the defense between kale Roden. Molson, Shavar, you'd think we'd be able to guard the wing better. Even Samuels has improved from what we saw earlier this season. Earlier this season, man, he was a tree rooted down. He's moving his feet. He's moving his hands. He's pretty decent on defense now. But we're just not putting it all together. 
I think it's a simple response. And I'm going to save my in-depth analysis when we get to deep thoughts with Kevin Willard, but we can't guard the pick and roll. Not at all. Not, not even close to anything effectively. And I think everything breaks down defensively after that. So, like I said, I'm going to save my thought on this bullet point for when we break down one of Kevin's post-game comments uh, right after the Villanova game. Uh, let, let's move on. What is with this team defensively breaking down in crucial spots at the end of the game? I'll, I'll give you a couple examples. Last year, you have leaving Mahoney wide open after blowing a zone assignment coming out of a timeout. And then this time, after a crucial bucket by Molson to tie the game, you have Kale and Reynolds not communicating. I don't know if it's supposed to be a switch. I don't know what was supposed to happen. But you leave the guy who's got 26 points on the night, already hit six three-pointers. He's hitting them from, like, the other side of half court in rhythm. And you leave Mitch Ballack wide open for the game-winning bucket. What am I missing? Uh, you know, it, it, it's funny because it seems like everybody else always claims that, oh, well, the other team's coach made adjustments and that's why our hot guy is no longer hot. It's not like Mitch Ballack scored those 26 points from halftime on. He was blowing the doors off of our place from go. Okay, but, but you know, he's going off for 29. He's hitting big shot after big shot. And you know what? I'll, I'll give you a silver lining. It wasn't his career high, Tom. It was his, <laughs> it was his second best, okay? You know, la- last year he scored 39 versus DePaul where he went 11 for 12 from three-point range. You want to talk about not adjusting? D- Dave Leto should be criticized for not adjusting. But, but, you know, speaking of adjustments, Mike, you know, you want to talk about adjustments. I got a question for you. Is Willard really this chiropractor that that people claim he is? Or is everyone just bought into the John Rothstein buy my T-shirt propaganda nonsense? I'm, I'm, I'm over it, man. I really am. I mean, let, let's go back and look at some other aspects of the game. Kale, 18 points in the first half. And he only gets three shots in the second. This sounds like a broken record from when we were breaking down Jared Roden's performance from a few games back. You know, and then Creighton goes zone. And it takes Willard almost six minutes before the ball goes into Sandro at the high post, resulting in a basket by Ike plus an M1. And then the next possession, Sandro scores. I know he kind of had a turnover and a missed shot after that, but that's where the ball should have been. And everyone's like, oh, he made the adjustment. And not at six minutes. Six minutes went by. Well, you, you know, I, I take great offense at any disparaging comments about my man, Miles Kale. He scores those 18. He was unconscious in that first half. Come on. He bailed uh, Shavar Reynolds out on two crazy drives uh, with deep three-pointers. How do you not just go back almost immediately and say, hey, let's get him a shot. Let's get him going in that second half. We know that Miles needs to get fed to keep going, but he doesn't get a shot. He gets two quick fouls in the second half. So he basically sits about 16 and a half minutes into the half and he doesn't get his first shot of the second half till 10 minutes left. I mean, that's just, that's just not good coaching. I mean, you got to feed your hot hand. And, and he hit a big shot down the stretch. I mean, a little uh, dribble drive pull up from the left side. And I thought that bucket was going to kind of stem the tide and put him over the top. Tommy, of the three shots, one of them was a rush three-pointer. Them trying to scramble in the final seconds. It means he had two shots. The guy scored 18 points and you had two shots in the second half. What the, what the heck am I missing? I'm, you know, I'm just over it. 
And this is what we've been complaining about day in or week in, week out. But Mike, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about some good things because the first 30 minutes of game, we look like a clear top three competitive team in this league, Mike. We scored 68 points. We, we were shooting 54% from the field. We just needed another 10 minutes to play, Mike. So let's put some blue-tinted glasses on. It's a 40-minute game, Tom. You want me to stay positive here? It's a 40-minute game. But I'm, I'm texting you at that 30-minute mark and going, this is the team. This is the team that we were talking about. Kale, Roden, Aiken, Sandro, all clicking. This was the team that people thought could possibly surprise you and get to the number two spot in the Big East standings. This is the team that people thought could make a second weekend run if they were putting it all together because the talent's there. It was electric. It was fun to watch. You got excited, and then they ripped your heart out. Mike, your boy... Bryce Aiken finally looked like the guy that he was on the highlight reel coming from Harvard. I mean, we saw a little bit of a glimpse of him against Xavier. But this one, it was like video game Bryce Aiken come to life. Step back threes, drives to the basket. And man, I'll tell you, Mike, if he doesn't shoot another step back three for the rest of his career, but he just keeps breaking people off the dribble for those easy layups, oh, I'm, I'm in heaven with that finally looked like the guy on the highlight videos you don't watch the highlight videos that's the I guy was... you told me about from the highlight videos okay uh I, it, it was awesome it was so much fun to watch it, it was you know everything you hope plus more but i'm gonna I, i'm gonna take a shot here believe it or not uh, as well as bryce played and man he was the game changer and should have been the guy that helped close it out down the stretch as people say miles powell light right for for this roster uh He's still not a point guard. Everything that he did was on individual creation to get his own shot, whether it be all the way to the basket or to take that jump shot that he was able to create for himself. Bryce is still not looking to pass first. So where is the point guard on this team? He's sitting on the bench right now, hanging out with his buddy, Dominguez Stevens. But Mike, we went 0-1 for the week. Up until that point, we had what I said was a desperate, desperate need of a win coming up on Saturday. And what happens? Villanova 80, Seton Hall 72. Seton Hall kept things even for the first six minutes. Then the Villanova Wildcats put together a a 10-point run and essentially maintained a double-digit margin into the break. It was more of the same in the second half with each team trading buckets until back-to-back threes by Justin Moore and Caleb Daniels pushed the lead to a game-high 16 with just eight minutes left to play. The closest the Pirates would get down the stretch was seven, but Villanova remained poised and iced the game away from the free throw line. All right, Tommy, box score on this one. Shavar Reynolds led the Pirates with 13 points, but indicative as how the game went, Eight of those came with two minutes to play and the game already decided. Sandro finished with 12 points and nine rebounds on an ineffective four of 15. Roden and Kale both chipped in with 12, but the real story of the game was the balance for Villanova. Jeremiah Robinson Earl had foul trouble throughout, but still managed 23 points in only 20 minutes of play. And he had support from his teammates, Jermaine Samuel, 17 points, Justin Moore, 16 and Colin Gillespie, 11. From a team perspective, 
another efficient performance from the Wildcats. 46% from the floor, 45% from three on 10 of 22 shooting, 87% from the line, 20 of 23, doing what good teams do and not letting the opponent back in by making your free throws down the stretch. And then here's Seton Hall, only 11 assists for the entire game, where Colin Gillespie had 11 of his own. Seton Hall, once again, did not take advantage of their size. They only had a plus three margin on the glass, 34 to 31. Tom, this is another easy turning point. You know, it has to be the 10-0 run that opened up the game early. You know, the Pirates needed a confidence boost after those two back-to-back losses, right? And, and they never, never led in this game. And they played from behind. And they didn't do anything flashy. Not, not at all. I mean, they just played a solid game. But when you play a team that plays the solid basketball that they do in all elements of the game, you don't overcome double-ditch deficits. They, they just weren't going to rally back from 16 in this one. It just wasn't going to happen. Well, you know, we banged on the Creighton game from reverse previously, but we're going to put some blue-tinted glasses on. It took a lot to even come up with some good news from this game, Mike, but to Kyle Molson had a yeoman-type effort out there. He brought his lunchbox, and he worked hard. He had eight points and six rebounds off the bench. Five of those rebounds were off the offensive side. He was the only one that was diving in there, sticking his nose. This was all in 20 minutes of play. And you know what? He was still showing that junkyard dog mentality. He was diving on the floor for deflections right up until the end. And I thought this was what you were going to get from to call from once again, you're going to laugh at me going back and watching the flow hoops exhibition games against the Italian guys. He was just in position, hustling, doing the little dirty work kind of plays that make a team appreciate what you bring from an effort perspective on the floor. He's a glue guy. Now, no, he's no, just- no, Mike, I'm going to interrupt you. You were penciling him into the starting five from day one. And I told you, whatever we get from him is going to be gravy because this year is going to be his transition year. He played well. I thought that he was going to fall into the favor of Kevin Willard because of the defensive mindset and that down the stretch, he was going to play more minutes than Kale and potentially, yes, I thought he might get some starting starting minutes. Molson's offense has been, you know, more of a challenge for him to adjust but these are the kind of elements of what I really liked about Molson. And these are the kind of guys that you need on your roster beyond your superstars. So I, I love what Molson did, but he needed other guys to match that level of effort. And Tom, it just did not happen in this game. Mike, I, you know, we're going to go jump right into the sour grapes and gripes here. And I know you've got a bunch of things to discuss, but I'm going to talk about that intangible level of the game that, that I love so much. Mike, Where was the intensity during this game? I'm not going to say effort because, you know, Kevin Willard teams always put out that effort and they play hard. But there was no intensity for Seton Hall to come out. And we've had this debate over the past few years as to whether really Seton Hall and Villanova is a rivalry. And I don't really want to revisit that right now. But if this is really a rivalry, 
They need to have an intensity to start the game to match that rivalry. And it was certainly there 11 days prior to this game. I think that this might have gotten to their head. All this immediate talk of this not being a must-win game. Did they get talked out of how important a game against the number three team in a nation and the number one team in a conference really is? Man, I am sorry. Every game against Nova should be treated as if it's a must win, if only to make sure the guys understand how important it is. I think you get blinded by the fact that they were playing against Villanova. I mean, they got off the solid starts offensively in the last two outings versus obviously Nova and also Creighton. So you just kind of felt like, okay, this team has that in them. And I expect that to be the case night in and night out. But that's not who they are. They, they were not lights out to start this game. And when they're not lights out and start playing their one-on-one stuff, which is what they did in the first two games prior to this, you get exploited by a solid defensive team. And you got outclassed start to finish by a better program. You know, they did all the little things well, and they looked fundamentally sound as usual, whereas everything on our end was disjointed and unorganized, you know? So the end result appears like a lack of intensity, especially with no fans in the building to kind of, you know, build up that optic and help raise the team to a different level. Nova played a great game. It wasn't spectacular, but when Nova plays their B plus A minus game and you don't come out with your A game, Tom, it's, it's going to look bad. Mike, they came out and played this game like if we were playing, you know, Stony Brook. I mean, they came out, they were like, we're going to play hard, we're going to win this game, we're going to play hard. No, you need that extra boost. I'm sorry. They didn't come out with it, Mike, and it showed. And Jim Jackson from the studio said, hey, they needed to come out with more energy to start that game. Preach on, Jim Jackson. Preach on. (laughs) All right, but my bigger issue is, either this team is going to collectively come together after this or some players are going to have to start stepping up massively relative to what they've done. You know, and it's, to me, it starts with sharing the ball. Only 11 assists in this game and only 10 assists in the Creighton matchup. And you're telling me, oh, you know, we had a lot of straight drives to the basket, so you're not going to get a lot of assists in those kind of scenarios, but those are still good plays. Tom, it's still too much individual effort needed to be successful on this team on that side of the court and when you play against more fundamentally well-schooled defensive teams like jay wright puts out on the floor and you're not shooting lights out i'm I'm a broken record right now it's gonna look bad otherwise you need an alpha in the kevin willard system so tom who is going to be the alpha on this team well mike isn't this the question that we had asked at the beginning of this season about Sandro. You know, we wanted that consistency out of him. We wanted to see if he can actually step up as the alpha on this team. And and it, and we thought he was it. We thought the first half of this season looked like he was going to be the man. But if you look at the last, I don't know, six, seven games, big time games with turnovers, kind of disappearing in the last two games from an offensive standpoint. To be honest, he did not look good defensively against Villanova at all. So this is the question now. Is he reverting back to the mean, or is he going to be that main guy? 
I thought you were going to say he's going to revert back to shrugging. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I am, I'm trying to be honest and I'm trying to be. Oh, I, 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 I agree. I mean, there are times where he's risen to the occasion and lately it is clear that you're going to be the focal point of the other team's game plan. And at times he's pressing. It's clear that he's pressing. And I'm, I'm going to go back and say it. There's times where Kevin has not got him in position to be successful. A lot of uh, high isolation up top off the dribble, not putting him in the post, playing him excessive minutes. Uh, so many different reasons. But I don't think Roden or Kell are those guys yet. And we haven't seen enough healthy Aiken to say that Aiken could be that player. But I'm going to say this, Mike, and we'll, and without beating that dead horse a bit, whenever a Roden, a Kale, or even an Aiken at this point have stepped up to be the main guy at least in a half or a period of a game, it's not because the offense has put them in a good position. And that's where Jared Roden kind of falls into. When Jared Roden has his big games... It's because he's just shooting lights out. There's no set play around him that we're putting him in, getting some easy baskets to get him rolling. And so if you don't come out blazing hot, if Kale, Roden, Aiken don't come out blazing hot, Aiken certainly didn't do anything in this game. He didn't have his shot falling, so all of a sudden his production looks like it's he's falling back. It doesn't happen. Sandro needs to be that main focus of this sure. offense. But here's my last point on this topic, and then we'll move on. We're going to be in a lot of close games with this team, right? We're not we're not running away from people on the scoreboard. And even when we've had 15-point leads, we're still pulling out games at the buzzer against Marquette, right? So who is capable, or better yet, who wants to take the final shot on this team? I'll give you two guys. Shavar Reynolds and Bryce Aiken. And, you know, Shavar has had mixed, mixed success with taking those big shots. I go back to our preview with, with – uh, John Fant again. And I said the most important thing about Bryce Aiken on this team was not to be their number one guy or their best player. We said that was going to be Sandro, but he was going to replace the alpha in the final minutes of the game. He's the guy who can create his own shot. He's got the moxie to want the ball and beat his guy one-on-one. -on -one. And we're going to be in a lot of these close games. I'm not asking for Sandro to have to do that potentially. I know there's been a whole bunch of write-ups saying the ball's got to go to Sandro, but if Sandro's not flourishing in these types of roles, why can't the ball go to Bryce in an isolated scenario, even if he's not shooting lights out that night? See, I'm shaking my head, just disagreeing with you, Mike. I am. A, you asked a question. You said, who is willing to take the final shot on this team? I think... I think you got seven guys that are willing to take a final shot. And then you go into a point of who's willing to go ISO one-on-one. -on -one. I think you've watched way too much Kevin Willard basketball over the past 11 years to see that. That's Wait, what no, they get, no, though. That's finish. what they get. No, That's what they get down the stretch. What you need to do is have a concept of what you want to do at the end. Get the ball to your best playmaker and have them do something. If that something happens to be pass off the wing to an open jumper, do that. You can't just sit there, pound the ball into the ground for 30 seconds and then take up a bad shot. And you know what's funny is... Two weeks ago, I made a comment about how do you not get the ball into your best player's hands in the final seconds, and I get trashed, but all of a sudden, we got a nice little write-up about how Sandro needs to have the ball more often. Stop I, it! I, I'm just telling you, Isaiah Whitehead, KC, Miles Powell, 
When has it changed? It's always been give it to my best guy, ISO, and everybody stand around and watch. And that's on the back, coaching, Mike. That's on the coaching. But, but that's that's not going to change on the back half of this this season. It's just not. You want to change that philosophically going forward? I fine, need but... some adjustments, Mike. I need a chiropractor in here. All right, Tommy. Let, let, let's move on. Uh, last point. What's this team identity going to be down the stretch? I mean, because I, I, I didn't get it from this Villanova game. I was hoping that they would come out and start reinventing themselves. You know, are they going to grind you out defensively? I didn't see that in this game. Are they going to outscore you? They, they could on a given night. Are they going to pound you inside? That still hasn't happened yet. Or are they going to outsmart you with adjustments? I'm not, I'm not going to even touch that. Uh, you know, I don't know, Mike. We are a, a full, what are we, 17 games into this season, and we still don't know what really this team should do. We've seen glimpses of playing tough defense on the wing and then pushing it up the floor for easy layups. We've seen some post play, but we haven't seen an entire game where they just pound you down at the block and beat you to death, even though we are the third tallest team in the country. You know, so I don't know what we do, what kind of identity. I mean, we certainly haven't shown that we do anything well along stretches of game yet. Oh, you know, I, I love Bryce, um, but I, I don't expect that narrative to play out uh, at this point in the season. So it still all starts with Sandro at this point, right? He's he's lacking that killer instinct on offense lately, and he's starting. Oh, I take that back. He's been getting torched on defense, right? And and that's what you're getting from your superstar. It, it's a tough spot to be in. I, I think this team believed in two things last year. One, Miles Powell was going to hit a big shot late if you needed it. And number two, Quincy and Rowe were going to make it difficult as hell to get a bucket on the other end. And I don't think this team has either one of those two elements right now to kind of lean back on. They're, they're looking for guys to provide those answers. And I, I'm not sure what they believe in in terms of this roster and, and who to look to. I think what they do need to believe in at this point is the team concept because I think they've got talent in a lot of positions that can give them positive things to say, whoa, did I just see that? <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right, Tom. I, 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 don't, I, don't got, I don't have a response to that. But, but, here, but here's what I do have to say. Uh, you tell me that we can never give this award away to an opposing player, and it, it was a rough week. So when Mitch Ballack hits a three from the Pirate logo, and that had to have been like 40 feet out, I, I'm all ears. You got a better one than that? You know, after an 0-2 week, Mike, I am ready to make that exception. I want to say he was he was doing it off the bounce. He was just kind of dribbling, and then he just said, ah, what the hell, I'm, I'm open. The shot clock was running down. It wasn't at zero yet, but <laughs> he was pulling the trigger. He knew what he was doing. So obviously the whole, whoa, did you see that moment wasn't come from the Seton Hall side. It was a big flop all week long. But let's talk about what the announcers flopped this week, Mike. I am not a Tim Brando fan. There are a lot of people that like Tim Brando. You got a good voice and people just get behind it. I think he stinks. I'm, I'm just going to list off a litany of errors that he made in this game or things that he says that just, I'm like, can you do better? Please just do better. They start off the game and flash a graphic showing Nova as net eight Strength of schedule 33. And then Brando continues to explain to the audience that Nova's net of 33 is because they had a 27-day layoff. They just showed you the net was eight. And you're explaining that it's a 33 because of the layoff. I mean, it's right there in front of you on the notes. Give me a better effort, please. 
So he tries to. He goes to his bag of tricks. Brando is known for kind of having a line before it even happens, and he's just waiting to use it. And he never knows when it's going to happen. So he, as soon as it happens, he whips it out. Oh, and he whipped this one out. Shavar Reynolds hits an early three to tie the game at five, and he goes, Reynolds, wrap that one in. Oh, geez, man. Come on. It, it gets worse. He cannot say Sandro's full last name, so he shortens it to what should be Mamu, but he calls it Mamu. <laughs> Mamu. <laughs> It is so annoying, Tom. He does it the entire game. Mamu. Oh, man. Then Sandro misses a short shot with his left. And he goes, went to the offhand and couldn't convert. No, no, Sandro's a lefty. He's the best player on the team. And you don't know that he's a lefty. Oh, okay. It, it gets better. He's pointing out that Villanova has gone a long stretch while maintaining the lead without Jeremiah Robinson Earl in the game. Hey, he's been on this bench this entire second half and alluding to the fact that he's still on the bench at this moment. Meanwhile, who's got the ball in his hands? Number 24, Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Come on, Tom. It's sloppy. It's lazy. It's the Fox national broadcast. And we can't get better than that. Maybe Tim Brando needs the crowd out there to get him all excited. But you know what? I think we should also add a category into this called fire the intern because I was already upset at the beginning of the game in the pregame commentary coming from the studio with Rob Stone, the host. So they're getting prepped for the Villanova game. They go to a little shot of uh, Bryce Aiken stretching out on the floor, dribbling around or whatever it was. And he proceeds to give this one. Bryce Aiken poured in a career high of 21 versus Creighton the other night. Well, you need to fire that intern. Yes, it was his Seton Hall high of 21, but if you have any idea of what Bryce Aiken's done in his career, you wouldn't even come close to saying that. The kid was a scoring machine when he was with Harvard. He scored in one season a 44-point game and a 36-point game against Columbia. He scored a 33-point game against Princeton. Outside of the Ivy League, he scored 32 against Holy Cross. Now, if none of these teams impress you at all, Rob Stone, and you're saying, well, that's just Ivy League or NEC, he also scored 30 points against the University of Maryland. 21 is not even in his top 20 list of top scoring games. It's ridiculous. Folks, I've created a monster. Tom Kaharski is going to the stats on a consistent basis now. I love it. I oh. love it. Oh, it's just baffling. It, it bothers you, though, and it's that simple to look it up at your fingertips. And whether it's fans debating on social media or whether it's the people that are putting together a professional broadcast and they can't get the facts straight. Basketballreference.com, folks. Look it up. It's not that hard. All right. Anyway. Oh, geez. Speaking of not that hard, I would just love for Willard to give me a competent answer after a tough loss. When, when they win, he's great. He's, he's jovial. He's humorous. But when they lose, uh, he gets he gets frustrated. And he also comes up with some quotes that make your head scratch. And Tom, there were plenty between these two games. And we just got it down to one. Because I got, I got, I don't have the, the patience for more than just one. So let's go to our favorite part of the show, Michael. And now, Deep Thoughts with Kevin Willard. Okay, Mike, so our esteemed coach after the Nova game gave us this. He was asked about Seton Hall's perimeter defense, 
and here's what he came up with. I would call it terrible, and that's an improvement from horrific the other night. It's really mind-boggling. We're working really hard on a defensive end. We're doing a lot of good things. Our guys are in position, and we're having little breakdowns that have really been, at times, with the wrong guys. And that kills you against really good teams. And so I'm frustrated a little bit for the fact that we're just having these little breakdowns. It's like a little hole in the boat that's causing it to flood. We have to somehow get better at it because if we don't, we're going to continue to struggle. So I don't know if that's the correct answer. I think it was terrible, but from horrific, I guess that's an improvement. They only made 10, Creighton made 17, so it's seven less, but I think it's the same percentage, which is still shitty. <laughs> oh man, there's so much I can have fun with here. You know, it's frustrating him that, you know, he can't figure out these little things. The fans are beyond frustrated. It's a small hole in the boat. No, Kevin, this is like a cannonball went through like the hull of your ship and you're going down faster than the Titanic. And he thinks it's a small little plug and play here and there. And I don't know if he's just trying to make light of the situation, you know, went from horrendous to just bad. The reality is, I said, I come back to this point earlier on. They don't know how to play pick and roll defense. And conversely, we do not know how to execute pick and roll offense on the other side of the floor as well, which is a whole nother issue. But in today's game, either you're going to have an offensive philosophy or you're going to play high pick and roll basketball in order to kind of get your five out or your four out open shots around the perimeter. And Tom, I know you said these guys have gotten better, but Ike and Sandro and Tyrese are not good pick and roll hedge defenders. And so then Willard decides to then switch instead of hedging. Has our switching been good? He said this in the post game and other quotes. Oh, he's just been switching too much. I think I'm going to change that. Has he changed that? <laughs> and he, again, I go back. You say that the switching hasn't been good. You would assume it would be better with the guys that we can roll out there. I know you've said that Tyrese isn't good on hedging. He has been playing better defense. You know, it, it's not a complaint we can't complain uh, about him got, playing he defense. Got, he got smoked on a hedge with the Terrifiers and Robinson. Well, everyone's going to get smoked here and there. You can't tell me his defensive game hasn't improved from day one. No, no, but but Roe, remember how many times we said it was so surprising how Roe was good at hedging on the pick and roll? But it took him a year to get there, Mike. We don't have a year right I, now. I realize this, but but you're comparing. This is just the problems I had with you with Molson. You know, you kept comparing him to Quincy, and I kept telling you, you're expecting Quincy year two, not Quincy year one. You're also comparing Ike to Roe year two. And yes, this is Ike's year two as well. But it, I don't know if he's got the foot speed. But Sandro doesn't either. Sandro doesn't either. No. I'm, I'm sorry. It, it's it's collectively, they're not a good defensive team. And we started off the season on a Jeff Goodman podcast, and this could be his best defensive team ever. And Fanta even said, ah, it was a little smoke and mirrors comment to kind of maybe motivate the team. They're not a good defensive team. And people expect them to turn the corner. Either he's going to have to come up with something different philosophically defensively, like maybe mix in a zone once in a while, show you that 1-3-1 again, but they are not going to beat you with straight up man-to-man. That is not a strength of this team. It's just not. Well, let's go from bad to worse, Mike, and let's talk about the pandemic this week. All right, I'll, I'll keep it short for you this week, okay? Uh, and then add to the list of reasons for Big East games to be postponed the fact that a ref 
had a positive test, and then we're doing contact tracing from a previous Big East game that he was associated to. So UConn has to postpone their Nova and St. John's game because the ref in their Butler game previously had a positive test. But what's frustrating is UConn has to pause, but Butler pushes forward. Well, Butler plays, right? I mean, I don't get it. Butler played Xavier yesterday. Well, so why, why were they on pause? There, there's really no consistency here unless you come to the fact that did UConn pause voluntarily at that point to postpone these games? They didn't have to. I, I'm not sure what's going on here. The, the consistency needs to be there. So if, if UConn has to postpone, Butler should have to postpone as well. Tom, we're into February. It's ridiculous. They need a plan of attack to how we're going to get to the end of this season, and they're still winging it. I'm really concerned. I know the NCAA protocol for the tournament in, in Indianapolis is starting to have a lot of protocols put in place and some structure, but we don't even know how we're going to make it through the Big East tournament to have healthy teams that get there. We talked to John Niatabu, who covers Creighton in our previous Behind Enemy Lines, and he's scratching his head going, we shouldn't play conference tournaments because you're going to end up with teams with positive tests left and right, not allowing you to get to the end of the season and play in the big dance. I I'm sorry. I I I'm frustrated. I know it was a rough week, so that's probably kind of bleeding into this a little bit, but... I mean, you got, you got Kevin saying, oh, we're definitely going to make up the Butler game, but I don't want to know we're going to make up the Xavier game. They haven't even announced that. So what what kind of behind, you know, uh, behind the scoop info would he have that we're not getting shared with everybody else? It, it's, I, I don't want to say it's a farce of a season because we're playing basketball. But Tom, I'm frustrated, man. Well, I'd rather make up the Xavier game, make them travel. I, will, I don't want our kids on a plane if they don't have to go anywhere. But yes, it was one hell of a frustrating week. We've got a big bounce-back week hopefully coming up against Providence and UConn. We're going to have the behind enemy lines with Bill Koch of the Providence Journal coming up. Drop it on Tuesday to preview the Wednesday night game against Providence. We will also do our preview of UConn right after that. So we will have our information ready and rolling, Mike. But, you know, it was a tough week, man. All we could do at this point, Mike... Just sit back and root on the guys and say, go Seton Hall. Go Big Blue. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Left Coast Pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other of your favorite listening platforms. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle, at Pirates. We are also proud members of the What You Expect Network of Podcasts. And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton Hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Kaharski, I'm Mike Desiri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates.